If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. Well, good morning, Grace. Today, I mean, if, if you listen carefully to that video, it is a message from eternity. It is from the pen of Peter. It is from the mind of God. It is about how to live a good life in bad times. And that's what we're going to look at today. Anybody want to live a good life? Yeah. In bad times, you bet. And the context of that letter, let me read this pretty long quote. Forgive me for, if I mess this up from a commentary that I enjoyed about the context of Peter and see if we can maybe relate to what's going on. When the apostle Peter wrote his first recorded letter, times were troubling. There was political upheaval, moral digression, philosophical and religious confusion, governmental corruption, raising, rising taxes and economic burdens, and the lowering of the value of human life. The government media was convincing the populace about lies concerning Christians. And Christians, they, the cloud of persecution was gathering. Christians were misunderstood mistreated, maligned, rejected by even their family members, singled out by employers. And some were even beginning to experience imprisonment, abuse, and even death. And in addition to that, they were living under the reign of an emperor who was growing increasingly insane. I don't know. <laughs> it's got everything but ships in Long Beach. So we can relate to 1 Peter, and that's why is it any wonder that in the year 2020, we, 2020 we did the year of the Bible, and now 2021, it's like, let's look at the writings of Peter. Let's look at the life of Peter. And so we started that off by saying uh, at the beginning of the year, we looked at uh, 1 Peter ch uh, chapters 1 and 2, where he said this, who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. And he's saying, well, here's what God says about who you are. You are, uh, my dearest friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Your home's not here. You're just foreigners and exiles. And he says, I want you to be people of consequence, always on call to hear God's voice and care for people in a time of, in a hostile world. So we did that in the fall. And then in the summertime, uh, because things lighten up, it's like, hey, let's, let's spend some time like looking at the biography of Peter. Let's look at his journey from fearful to courageous and see if we might learn something from that. So we looked at that. We looked at the life of Peter in the summertime. And now we're looking at 1 Peter chapters 3 through 5 where he's going to start applying the, the doctrine that we knew before in 1 and 2, that we're foreigners and exiles and our home is in heaven. And he wants us to use and live out these strong convictions Strong convictions in our souls as the culture becomes more and more hostile. 
As the culture starts, make, be, as Christians are being mocked, as they're being lied about, as it, it might cost us everything, Peter's saying, look, let's look at what these convictions lead to. If you're thinking, what, what's the difference between a belief and a conviction? Well, persecution will tell you that. <laughs> persecution will flush out your beliefs like a quail hunt. There they go. There go your beliefs. And what you have left over, those are your convictions. Those are the things that stay. And Peter wants us to have these convictions that you are foreigners, strangers. Your home is in heaven and you're living for that. And then when he starts applying those truths, we found out as we left off in the fall, it said, therefore submit to the government, even when it's corrupt. You know, ex- you know submit and surrender to the, the, the needs of your employer. Make him famous, even though he's not fair. And then he has six verses on marriage. And instead of doing the six verses on marriage, we spend seven weeks on marriage. That's why we did the five word series. We're just keeping up, just keeping up with Peter. And now he's going to go into more broad applications, kind of having to do with our mindset of how to live our lives in the context of the culture that we live in. How to be happy in a sad time. You want a happy life? You want, maybe not. You want a happy life? Well, sure you do in, a, in, in sad times. So he's going to give us two main points, two main points that have a happy life. First one, he's going to say, play nice. He's going to say, play nice. Play nice inside the church, play nice outside the church. That's what he means. What, it, what does it mean to play nice? He's going to say, well, inside the church, he's going to give us five uncommon virtues. And then outside the church, he's going to give us an uncommon reaction. So here we are. Play nice inside the church. This is how you live a happy life in sad times. Five uncommon virtues. Let's look what it says in 1 Peter verse 8. Finally, finally, all of you uh, with unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tenderhearted, that means compassionate, and a humble mind. So he says finally here, some of your translations will say to sum it up. And what he means is, look, I just want to just give a a summary of what I've been talking about so far. In our vocabulary here at Grace, it's it's when we say, you need to start turning out. In difficult times, it's very easy to turn in and become selfish. He's saying, no, 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 no. While that's instinctive in a sinful person, you you are in the image of Jesus Christ. So you need to turn out. And it starts with this, unity of mind, unity of mind. A great translation for that phrase is live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. Uh, The church is sometimes compared to the body. When your body is living in harmony, that means everything's working together, right? Different parts, but everything's functional. And when you have one body part that's in disharmony, the whole body suffers for that, right? Right now, I've got a right ear that's gone absolutely rogue. The hearing part of my right ear wants to convince my brain that I'm at the beach during a hurricane. The balanced part of my ear wants me to think I'm on those little teacups, the spinning teacups at uh, Disneyland. And the rest of my body can't live with this because one part of my body is out of harmony saying, look, everybody has to do this. It's interesting, you don't have a responsibility to produce harmony. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Our job is to protect harmony and protect unity. Harmony, uh, another metaphor is harmony in music, right? What we see here. 
Harmony and unity, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean uniformity. As a, in contrast, it's several different types of instruments. You know, in many ways, they're playing different notes. And the fact that they're being harmonious makes it beautiful. Different instruments playing different notes, but they have one conductor. They have one you know, set of music that, they're, that their goal is to play. And that's how the church works. So many different ethnic groups, socioeconomic categories, uh, gifts, abilities, backgrounds, preferences, political views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you guys have in common? Anything? One thing. Yeah, Jesus Christ is our savior. He's our king. And his father is our conductor. And we play the music he tells us to play in the way he designed us. He's our conductor. That's what it means. In our culture back then, in a culture like today, when people are self-serving, self-gratifying, self-exalting, self-promoting, turning in, it's all about me, the church in unity, in unity, it stood out as it would today. It stands aside, unified. Second attribute is, or virtue here is sympathy. Sympathy is when we enter into someone else's emotions whether it's joy or sorrow. And it's beautiful. You can see in the life of Jesus, especially in the book of John, that, that he, he actually does this demonstration miracles. The first miracle Jesus has in the book of John is he's at a wedding and, he, and it's a, an event of joy. And he says, I want to make this more joyous. And so he turns water into wine. In, in the last miracle in the book of John, he's at a funeral and he enters the sorrow and the grief of those people. He's in part of that, and Jesus weeps and does something about it that we can't, causes that miracle to happen. When Paul wrote with the same thing in mind, he said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He's saying that's what it, that's what it looks like to, to play nice inside the church is to have empathy. And here's, here's why this is important. Because when hard times come upon us, it is, it is simple and natural. It's sliding down a slippery hill to just go and get hard. When culture gets hard, we get hard. And he's saying, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, like, you're having trouble. I'm in sorrow. It's like, I want to make this about me. He's saying, no, 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 turn out. You can turn out by doing this. You could ask for help or you could enter someone else's sorrow and say, wow, we have more in common than I thought. I've lost a wife as well. He's saying, do that. Play nice. Unity, sympathy, and then he says, brotherly love. Brotherly love. The word for love here in Greek is phileo. And that word is where we get the name of the city, Philadelphia. Philadelphia literally translates the city of brotherly love. And if you want to know what brotherly love looks like, take a flight, go to Philadelphia, See how they treat you, and then do just the opposite of that. And that's what brotherly love looks like. You can just go to the airport on a connecting flight. You'll get it. Here's what it means. It means, hey, your family, brotherly love. It means what we say at our house sometimes, same team. Same, why are we arguing? Why are we fighting like we're enemies? Same team, brotherly love. You want to live a happy life in sad times? Yeah, you do. You need a tender heart. Fourth attribute, tender heart. It, 
it is translated sometimes in a literal uh, translation is compassion, means compassion. And compassion is an interesting word. Peter saw this watching Jesus for three years. And a, a pastor named Eidelman point, pointed this out in his study of the word compassion. He saw, he's, when he looked at the gospels, he saw that compassion, the emotion, right? The feeling was always, almost always attached to an action. That Jesus felt compassion and then did something about it. So Mark chapter six, he felt compassion and then he fed the people that were hungry. In Mark chap Matthew chapter nine, he felt compassion and so he prayed for those people. In Matthew chapter 20, he felt compassion and healed two blind men. And then later on, in, or in Mark chapter one, he had compassion and healed the lepers. In other words, compassion is, is, a, is more than just feelings or emotion. It's Jesus turns compassion into a verb. He says, do something about the heartfelt feelings that you have that maybe God has brought to you. Do something. In the life of Jesus, what is heartfelt, his hands touched. So the opposite of compassion is indifference. Don't even care. And see, that's the very reason that here at Grace, we started kind of a campaign. When we were coming out of the pandemic and, or you know, the isolation part, the quarantine, we like, we, we're, we're, we're turning towards indifference. It's, very, it's just so simple to be indifferent. It's, the quarantine lasted so long, at least I, I did this, and you might have done it. You, you slip into safety and protection for me and mine. Right? You just kind of turn in, it's like, as long as we're safe, that's good. And it was so long, you get into a habit of that. Anything over 40 days becomes a habit. It was a lot longer than 40 days. And we, so we find ourselves sliding, slipping, becoming indifferent. So we just thought, you know what, let's get back in shape as a church. Let's do a summer of giving and a, and a fall of serving. Let's do that as, together and have fun doing it. And just want you to know, the results are beyond astonishing. <laughs> I want to tell you about it. The summer of giving, anyway, the consequences of that. And I'm going to roll it out to the next three or four weeks because I can't just all at once. Let me just tell you. What we did was, summer of giving was, anything you, uh, the congregation gave that, that was above our budgeted expenses, we're just going to give away to communities around Austin and ministries around Austin and around the world. So we got started and... I don't know, a couple months into the process, we gave away $232,000. Ka-ching! Yeah. So we gave that to The Source, which is a women's health organization that we love. Uh, we gave it to Community First Village. We bought uh, two of the homes there. That helps for people that want to get out of chronic homelessness. And we also gave to the Baptist Haiti Mission because of the earthquakes that took place and we needed somebody that we could trust with boots on that ground. But wait, there's more. <laughs> we just kind of finished closing out our September books so we could find out how much money we had to spend. And there's another $305,000 that we're going to give away. We're going to give away in excess of a half a million dollars from Summer of Give. Okay? Yeah. This is so much fun. So, like, where could we be coming in? We're... 
Where are targets of compassion? Compassion and do something, right? Where could we maybe be slipping towards indifference? So this week, I want to just focus on the people that are suffering abject poverty and even homelessness, the poor and the homeless. And so I'm going to tell you as weeks progress, other organizations that we're giving to. But this, this time, we want to let you know we gave $10,000 to Mission Possible. Now, it's a ministry that we've been involved with for, I think, over 25, maybe 30 years helping the people in East Austin. And Church Under the Bridge is a ministry they have there for homeless people. Uh, Another one is the Mosaic Church Street Ministry. Mosaic Church is right up the street here, 183. And they have a wonderful ministry. Actually, the lady that uh, runs that uh, used to be in our youth group. Kind of a fun overlap. And they're going up and down 183, helping those people, uh, giving them dignity, and also getting them ready, those who want to get well, into long-term housing. We gave that ministry $10,000. What long-term housing do they point the people to? Here we go again, Community First. So we gave $100,000 to Community First, that fabulous ministry that's part of Mobile Loaves and Fishes. And we might be, I don't know how we're going to spend it exactly, but maybe another two houses. So we're, <laughs> we're just playing Monopoly now. We got two houses on, on Baltic Avenue and Mediterranean. Here we go. I'm going to tell you more each week because there's still more money to tell you about. But anyway, you know what? We've already done this, but just give everybody a hand for our generosity here at Grace. When we're generous, we can change the community, okay? This church has been blessed, and so we get to bless our community around us, okay? And, and what happens is even a hostile culture doesn't know what to do with generosity towards people where there's no, you know, coming back. There's nothing in it for us. That's why Peter says in chapter two, when he's talking about doctrine, he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, you're not from here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Yeah. You want to live a good life in bad times? Yeah. So play nice with family, unity, sympathy, brotherly love, compassion. And this last one is a humble mind, a humble mind. I love what it's, it's a humble mind. Pastor Swindoll points out that it's it's in a, the humility is in a place that only God can see. It's your thoughts. It's a humble spirit, not just like in pretense or in action, but it's in the very way you think. You want to test on whether you have the attitude of a servant? How do you act when someone actually treats you like a servant? If it's all right, then you're right there. What's interesting, again, uh, just to remind you, that humility, when Peter writes this, is not a virtue in that culture. It's a vice. It wasn't exalted. I mean, it's, these are the Romans, right? They're Klingons. Like they exalt things like courage and aggression and bravado. And there's humble was some, you made fun of someone for that. Here's a little fun fact I, I tripped on when I was studying this, a phrase that we all know, okay? In the 17th century, when wealthy landowners went on hunting expeditions, they packed everything. They packed everything, okay? They, they brought in fully staffed kitchens and all the equipment. They had changing tents. They, they brought their libraries just in case, you know? I mean, if you can imagine what this 
like four seasons goes camping, looks like. Uh, Downton Abbey, if you ever saw some of that, that's much more modern, but you get the idea. But here's what happened. After the big hunt, it turned into this giant feast out there in the wilderness, and the people got to enjoy the meat from the deer that they had killed. But the help that did all the work? No. They, got, they didn't get any of the venison. They didn't get any meat. All they could have were the leftovers, the innards. The innards were called umbles. And so what they would do is they'd clean up the innards and they would mix it up with vegetables and had some fruit. And then they would wrap it up in dough and bake it in the oven and it would come back and be humble pie. That's where we get the phrase humble. And then later it became humble pie. And humble pie is used exclusively for people that have done something that took them down a couple notches. No one wants to eat humble pie. It's what you get for being cocky. And Peter's saying this, the dinner bell has rung, my brothers and sisters. Come on down, pull up your chairs. Learn to like humble pie because it's good for your soul. Do that. To be clear, his humble pie doesn't lead to mousy, you know, fearful anxiety. On the contrary, it's this strong and courageous humility. It is fearless. It is a different kind of humility. Here's, the application is this. When difficult times come upon us, it, those circumstances, particularly persecution, separate our beliefs from real convictions. And hard times, they'll do that. And Paul, Peter here is saying, for the church to be the church, to make any kind of difference and to glorify God, we have to be unified and sympathetic and, and compassionate and love one another and humble. And the hardship, the hardship shows that in us, whether it can strengthen it or show our weakness. I love this quote from uh, Blair. He says, the brand of Christianity that fails to make us more tenderhearted and kind is not New Testament Christianity. I'm going to say that again. The brand of Christianity that fails to make us more tenderhearted and kind is not New Testament Christianity. And I'll just say this. If you've been coming to the grace for a while and getting involved in the various ministries and it has not made you more tenderhearted and kind, protecting unity, these attributes, these virtues, we're doing something wrong. If our teaching puffs you up, we're doing it wrong. It's supposed to make you like Christ in all of life, a humble and courageous soldier for him. You want to live a life of joy during times of sorrow? Yeah. There you go. You play nice inside the church. And then he says, you play nice outside the church. You play nice outside the church. He has this very uncommon reaction to persecution. Look what he says, the, react, the Christian reaction to persecution. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Ooh, that hurts. Bless, for this, is this, for this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So Peter is saying like this. Do not repay a Facebook comment for a Facebook comment, right? A tweet for a tweet, a sarcastic remark for another sarcastic remark. 
If you're wondering what that looks like, I've brought to you a picture that could help you. Try to remember this. Even the frogs know how to do this. Look, say it, Holy Spirit, yep, don't have to say everything. (laughs) Right? There's so much truth to that picture. So the point is this, like it's not enough to play nice inside the church. We're all getting along and singing Kumbaya where we go and we light up some city council meeting and not practice that or just kind of be annoyed by some neighbor because he's got a silly yard sign. No, no, no. He, like he's a, genuine love is loving all people, not the, the ones that don't love you back. It means showing respect for all people, especially maybe the ones that don't show you any respect. How in the world are you supposed to do that? And why are you supposed to do that? Well, it says in verse 9, for you were called for this very purpose <laughs> that you might inherit blessing. You were called for this. This is what you're called for. You're on call. Remember, you're on call, ready to act. And then he says, to, because you're in inherit an eternal blessing. You're, you've got a blessing coming to you. You're going to have more left over to give out to everyone else. So I love, I love the way he's kind of playing with some, some math here or phrase. He goes, look, you're going to be blessed to, ble- to bless others. And then he says, you're going to bless others so that, because you're going to inherit a blessing. <laughs> See? We're blessed to bless others. We bless others because we're going to inherit a blessing. A lot of blessing from the church. It's interesting how how Peter now is going to summarize these these first two verses, verses 8 and 9, by by referring his audience to a psalm that I'm sure they knew. It's Psalm 34, and it's written by David. While he was being persecuted by Saul, he's completely innocent, People are lying about his, his allegiance, and he's hunted down to be killed. And this is, this, is, this is what David says. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. There's our title of our sermon. Anybody here want to love life and see good days? Well, sure you do. Well, what do you got to do? Well, it starts right here. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Remember this guy? Yeah, that's what he's talking about. It starts with keeping your tongue from evil and lips from deceit. And the rest is self-evident. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You want to have a happy life in sad times? You want to have a good life in bad days? He says, play nice. Play nice inside the church, play nice outside the church. There's our two points. And the second point is this, turn your persecution into preaching. And I wish I were a preacher because I would light this section up. Oh, I would love to do that because he's not really explaining so much as he's reminding and motivating his audience. He's like, he's just getting people fired up. They know to do this. He's trying to preach at this point. Let me just read it to you. He says, now, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But let's just say, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. There's blessed again. Okay. So here's this courageous part. You have, have no fear of them, nor be troubled in your humility. You got humble courage there, but in your heart, honor Christ the Lord 
as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for the reason of your, the, the hope that, that, was, that is within you. And yet, yet, okay, remember, do this with gentleness and respect. <laughs> Courageous, humble, gentleness, respect. All this time, we're just like, how do you live a great life in terrible times? Here's what it looks like preaching. I'd love some feedback. Turn your persecution into preaching, everybody. Say amen. amen. How about turn your misery into ministry? Amen. Accusations into acclamations. Amen. How about turning your oppressions into opportunities? Into opportunities. Amen. Yeah. How about your situations into a soapbox to talk about Jesus? Amen. How about when they alienate you, you say, yeah. I'm feeling pretty good because I already am an alien. Mercy, right? Let's go. And then he goes on. Having a good conscience so that even when you're slandered, those who revile you, revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. <laughs> for it's better to suffer for doing good. If that's, that's what God's will is for you, to be suffering for doing good, it's better that than doing evil. So, here's what it looks like. When a collective group of people, let's just call them the church, and they decide to live out their convictions that they're not from here, they're just passing through, their home is in heaven, they have the dignity and the honor of Jesus Christ himself. When they decide to play nice inside the church and outside the church, and when they look for opportunities to to tell people about Christ. When they look at persecution as a way of being proclamators of the gospel, when they turn out and look for life as good works in Jesus Christ that he's arranged before the beginning of time that we present ourselves in, that group of people called the church, that changes the culture. It radically changed the Roman culture. That's how they changed things. I just want to acknowledge that it has been a very difficult two years. I want to say that I think it might get worse. And when times get hard, it's easy for us to become hard. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. And so, look, the next time, like you're, like you're just pulling up to a dinner party or you're walking down some hallway for a corporate meeting, or you're setting up tables for a neighborhood event, you <laughs> go there and play nice no matter what. Go there and say, I'm going to be a blessing to this event because I've been blessed and I will inherit a blessing and I'm going to be the one that gives blessing all around. Anybody persecutes, I'm going to turn that into an opportunity to preach. The situation I'm going to be in is a soapbox. Convictions are what's left after beliefs are kind of burned up. And sometimes it just takes hurt feelings or inconveniences. And sometimes it's cultural pressure. Sometimes it's real persecution. And Peter's saying, 
the first century church, they had these convictions. They weren't going to be here long. And they wanted to make an impact. An impact that would ripple and echo into eternity. They were not from here. They wanted to receive the, the eternal blessing that they were promised. And so they did this. They, they played nice inside the church, outside the church. They blessed inside the church, outside the church. Peter's showing us these aren't hard times. These are great opportunities. And so I appeal to you, Grace. Let's be a church like that. What do you say? Amen. And that's how you live a joy-filled life in a sorrow-filled world. Everybody wins. Let's pray. Lord, we are inspired by these words of Peter. Oh, the one who denied you not once but thrice is now telling us how to stand strong and courageous. He wants us to live a life without regret. He wants us to live a life that's humble and yet courageous. He's showing us the way. Lord, I'd ask that we would follow that way, that we'd be encouraged, encouraged, that we would look for opportunities to protect the unity of this church, that we would find out ways to serve and have compassion for those in the church and outside the church, that we would be looking for good works that we're to do in Jesus Christ that you've rolled out before us in such a time as this. Let us be Daniels and Davids and Josephs that went above circumstances and used those as platforms to, ex to express and proclaim the glory of Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.